Resiliency Within, with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. Welcome to Resiliency Within. I want to let you know we are also live streaming on Resiliency Within's Facebook page, Resiliency Within. And if you go there, you can see my guest, Dr. Ravi Chandra, and I in living color. So I want to welcome Dr. Ravi Chandra, and I want to tell you a little bit about him as we get started. He's a psychiatrist, a writer, a poet, a filmmaker, a compassion educator in San Francisco. He's a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. I was saying to him before we started that he was he's truly a Renaissance man. He even told me he took a drama class this weekend. So you might want to tell us a little bit about that, but I also want to say <laughs> a little bit more that you um, received your bachelor's degree degree from Brown University, Brown University and MD from Stanford um, University School of Medicine and completed a residency at general adult psychiatry from the University of California in San Francisco that you write for psychology today in the East Wind e-zine and wrote essays on film for the Center for Asian American Media for 14 years. His debut nonfiction book, Face Buddha, Transcendence in the Age of Social Networks, won a 2017 Nautilus Silver Award. His debut documentary, which I want to hear more about this as well, um, won, um, it's called, let me say what the name of it is first, The Bandaged Place, From AIDS to COVID and Racial Injustice. It was awarded Best Film at the 2021 Cannes Independent Film Festival. Um, we are so blessed to have you today. And I just want to say a couple more words. You know, I was reading at the end of the year, I kind of, I was wanting to get inspired and I came across your writings in Psychology Today. And there was a particular quote, and I want to read it for our listeners as we get started that you made. And I know we're going to have lots of things to be able to, to hear from you in terms to expound upon this is that you said the voices of all marginalized individuals and communities are profoundly important for the future because our survival and growth as a nation and world depend on empathy and compassion for vulnerability. And when we see each other, when we see our own vulnerability and create connections out of the disconnections of our past, we can transform our predicament into possibility. So, oh, Dr. Chandra, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Thank, thank you so much. It's so good to meet you and happy new year and uh, many wishes to you and everyone listening uh, for a better new year uh, yeah. and a better year um, than where we've uh, uh, ended in the last few months of this year, of this last year. I'm I'm certainly hoping so. And I'm as we get started, what is on your mind today as as we start our conversation? Yes, well, I think, um, you know, well, first of all, you know, you, you gave a list of my uh, quote unquote accomplishments. And I, and as as with any of us, I, I think we all depend on community and other people inspiring us and uh, uh, providing pathways and a vision for us. And, and that's happened to me, uh, fortunately, through my journey. And I've had just enough 
or maybe more than enough, uh, uh, great community connection. So Daniel Kwan said at the Oscars last year when he won the best director, uh, co-won best director for everything, everywhere, all at once, that uh, genius emerges from collectivity. And we, you know, that, that, uh, that we're, we're all interdependent. We can all, uh, we can all add something to our collective genius. Uh, and I think that's what resilience, uh, your resilience model is all about is adding to collective wisdom and collective genius. Um, so, you know, whatever I've added to that, I hope has, has come from, uh, that great wellspring of community and compassion, um, that, uh, that has existed, uh, uh, throughout my community and long before. Well, well, thank you for those words, and I and I and I agree with you um, that I think it's all about community and how we create that. And I think that's when we don't have that community. And when we were we were talking before the show started, maybe we can talk a little bit about that now. And that is about the stress that your patients have shared with you. That I've certainly spoken to so many people around the world, and it's not only the. In the the individual stressors that you know you know plague all of us in life, right? The challenges with family members, challenges with jobs, or just getting across town sometimes that can cause stress. But there is that world stress and the global stress and the things that have happened in the United States, for example, that the vitriol and the hateful speaking can also start to seep into us. And I'm just wondering about your reflections on, I know how dedicated you are to compassion, empathy. How do we, how do we get through this? How do we, we strive to kind of uh, maintain our own humanity when we're faced with inhumanity? Oh, we need all the help we can get. Um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, I, I think we, as human beings, we all have to contend with suffering, futility, uh, worthlessness, hopelessness, uh, helplessness—all of these things—and uh, 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 I think we're we're receiving really in this world era. I mean, we think about all the things that are glaringly going wrong, from uh, climate change all the way down to violent conflict, down the way all the way to you know domestic violence and all, all of these uh, interpersonal abuses. Abuses in the workplace. I think. I think we're receiving a great historical transmission of unhappiness and abusive power. And I think it's up to each of us to digest it and and receive this transmission um, and transmit ourselves, trans, uh, use ourselves as a transitional space, uh, individually and collectively, to transform this transmission into a better vision for the future. Um, and um, that's that comes, I think, through education, learning, community contact, uh, insight, um, and really, I think you know our, our backs up against the wall in so many ways. And I've I've certainly felt, particularly since the murder of George Floyd uh, in May of 2020, that the my life has been on a crisis footing. I mean, you know, since the BLM movement started, really, but. But I think, and, and this has kind of been true and percolating in my life for some time. But I, and I think that is uh, true of a lot of people who dedicate their lives to helping the world in some way. So, in terms of being on a crisis footing and uh, receiving the transmission of unhappiness and uh, transitioning it and transforming it to something positive, I think that's that's uh, that's where I'd like uh, more people to to be. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think you know, bringing bringing up what happened, um, the the horror of of watching George Floyd die, that I think for many of us was it just shattered us, and 
and those of us who've been working in peacemaking and compassion and healing, that was the antithesis of everything. You know, it's interesting that you talk about it being like a transmission, like an awakening, because if we saw that, then how could we not be changed by that? And how could we not say things have to change? And is there such a systemic, you know, ugliness that because it it has to be in my thinking, and I would love to your ideas about this. Yes, it happens on the individual level, but we also have to work on the systemic level. Mm-hmm. Um, they're hand in hand. But your thoughts about that? What how, what can we do? Well, uh, so I'm a private practice psychiatrist, so I work with uh, individual patients and some sometimes couples and groups. Um, and well, so so I guess uh, to trace it back, uh, what can we do? I think learn uh, uh, learn uh, about compassion is very important, um, you know, and uh, learn these techniques. Uh, uh, just to dovetail with what you do, uh, these techniques of of uh, uh, of uh, generating calm within oneself and also connection. Um, so I, I, I depend. I kind of uh, promote uh, these five things: mindfulness, compassion, relationship creativity and insight and i think these are five components of what active components of what it takes to digest what we're receiving um you know back in uh uh 20 in 2016 uh when uh many people who were uh certainly uh uh hopeful that uh, that hillary clinton would be elected for example and you know that things the worst of the worst wouldn't happen i mean we you know i i certainly felt uh along with millions of other people so sunken and demoralized when um when uh a man who was clearly a bigot filled with hatred a bully uh and just uh, uh but also very popular i mean that's kind of scary too uh, when he was elected so um, so I uh, started taking um, mindful self-compassion uh, courses, uh, compassion cultivation training, um, and became tr- teach a teacher in both of those uh, uh, kind of traditions or, or uh, secular modes of, uh, uh, of teaching compassion um, in 2017. And it actually created a, a, a change for me because, you know, rather than simply being sunken by um, what I viewed as an abusive, oppressive person and paradigm in the world, I, I, I felt, you know, some compassion for the what I felt was the underlying insecurity, fear, and a uh, fear of uh, of threats uh, imagined, and so what demographic change that uh, that one group is very fearful about feels threatened by. So I, I can have some compassion, try to retain that seed of compassion. For uh, for uh, what I what I certainly feel is an abusive force in the world, um, uh, and um, so, but that you know that of course you know uh, cycles with anger and uh, rage and, and futility, all of those emotions. But I think having that seed of compassion is is so important. In fact, you know, I kind of in teaching mindful self compassion, I um, I came up with a kind of a diagram of the inner life with all the difficult emotions and all the emotions that one could have from from anguish to fear to uh to anxiety to worry depression and so forth and uh you know just as um umami is the fifth flavor uh in food uh, after sweet salty bitter sour there's umami umami makes food tasty and delicious it's, it's from the glutamate uh receptors um 
and uh, it adds a tangy kind of taste, a ketchup. So I call friendliness and compassion are the umami of the inner life and relatedness. Just a dash can make our inner lives and relatedness more tasty and delicious. So it's just like a way of holding uh, or being with difficulty that shifts it just a little bit so we're able to connect to our better angels and I think the better angels that exist in all of us. Um, though, you know, in some cases, greatly deformed and, uh, and, uh, and, and, well, yeah, and, and just really uh, turned on their heads. Um, well, I, I love the, the, the image of the better angels. But what I love about what you just said is just the importance that there's chaos in the world. I can't change, let's say, if I feel very strongly about someone who's politically in power that I might say is involved with such hateful speech, that that is... Um, hard to listen to. So I'll just turn the television off because I'm not going to listen to something like that. But but then there is a residue that can hang around. And that's, you know, kind of looping back to the stress. And so what you're saying is that as you create and you spend time cultivating that self-awareness, that we can be compassionate towards ourselves because sometimes we stop being compassionate towards ourselves. And then we might look at the world with like, oh, everything is so terrible. Everything's bad. Nothing's ever going to get better. If this person wins, that means they're going to destroy America, for example. And so, but that's not true. We can work within our own paradigm. We can work within our own frameworks that we can have self-compassion that may then change that system so that there can be, I guess, the transmission of well-being, of positive thinking about, okay, yes, that exists, but we can do this to change that trajectory so that we don't have to be left with the hatefulness, that we can we can start to cultivate something different. I I, when I was in India, I shared with you that I'd been in India, there was a researcher there, and she shared um, something from the, the Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. And I think that's worth saying right now, and what they have, you know, very smart mathematicians that figured out that if you can change um, 10% of the population to wildly believe something, that it changes the other 90%. So when I hear you talking, I'm going, yes, Robbie, we can get this self-compassion in such a larger way across the mm-hmm. United States, across the globe. And if you think about that equation that the Polytechnic Institute created, it could change it, couldn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, I... I, I... You know, I th- I still believe that the the vast majority of Americans are basically kind and good. So you know, I I think there's there's con- some kind of foundation and baseline. But I really worry about the dangerous influences that exist. Um, that people can weaponize uncertainty and fear uh, to to really cast uh, hate on whole demographic groups. Uh, or on a system of government, on democracy itself, uh, to to just, you know, to so mistrust. And I think, I think as human beings, we're all, you know, we're all vulnerable. We can all be influenced uh, and we have capacity for tremendous good or tremendous evil. And I think we have to really cultivate our rootedness and our values and principle amongst those at this time, I think, are compassion and shared humanity. Uh, just remembering that even though someone may have a radically different political idea than you, um, they're still a human being, um, you know, and we have to, you know, hopefully figure out how to uh, live with each other and cultivate the greatest good 
for the group, um, which is ultimately, I mean, we get this transmission of unhappiness, which I think lands on, uh, can land on this antagonistic, uh, uh, reactive uh, piece of our, our brains. Um, and it takes a lot to sit with that because I experience that too. I can feel really um, sharply uh, angry at at somebody who's trying to harm someone, for example. So that's uh, you know a protective instinct, perhaps to have anger against that. But but it's like you know uh, uh, we, we we don't want to enter the cycle of hostility, uh, which uh, which becomes very rigid. Um, I think to have fluidity. We have to retain our shared humanity and cultivate it, and um, and recognize the the bad players who are really influencing us away from shared humanity. And we have to, you know, I think, you know, love love is love is love. I mean, we really it, it is ultimately about love and compassion. Um, uh, otherwise, we really uh, we'll, we could enter another dark ages uh, easily uh, from the book banning. The, the the racism etc espoused by you know real leaders who are not getting any kind of a major uh, stop uh, or major major hurdle uh, in advocating these awful positions so so I, I hope you know I hope we uh, we do set some limits uh, on um, on the influences that are are allowed to propagate hate is so viral that's something which I learned. Uh, when I wrote uh, Facebook, a transcendence in the age of social networks, and I have a chapter in there about how anger can morph uh, and become hostility, and you know, so and, and this has destroyed democracy. Social media has destroyed democracies around the world, um, and created violence and amplified violence. So, it, you know, it, it's like it, it, you know, there's so many systems that we're involved with which don't care enough. I think. About uh, about setting limits on hatred uh, and divisiveness and antagonism. Um, so um, so it's it's both. You know, I agree. We have to cultivate compassion within, but we have to support uh, ethics and compassion uh, on on much bigger scales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I, you know, when you're talking about this, you know, my 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 husband, he's a retired judge, and one of the things that he's been saying a lot lately, I would love to get your impression on this. He said, you know, I remember in school we had civics, we had civics in grade school, we had civics in middle school, we had civics in high school, and for those of you that may be saying, what was civics? Well, civics was learning about democracy. It was learning about dignity. It was learning about respecting individuals. And sometimes I worry that part of the systemic change that's happened, that's happening, has been that we've lost some of those tenets of how do we learn about the education of democracy. And I'm I'm just curious. Here you are, you know, very well educated person involved in many things. I mean, I, I'm just curious about your um, your reflection about that. Yeah. Well. You know, I, there's. Uh, I think there are a lot more influences on um, all of us uh, than there were uh, 30 years ago, 30, 40 years ago, when I was growing up, and when you were when you were growing up as well. So, um, so I think I think this is this is the challenge. Uh, is that uh, uh, I think you know actually uh, the youth are uh, overall less polarized than older people. I think older people have uh, perhaps less capacity uh, to understand these different inputs and and probably you know weigh things uh, a little bit you know uh, I think kids are more generally more savvy about what they receive 
on the internet. Although, you know, there's depression, anxiety, and and uh, social isolation are big, suicidality are big problems among the youth. So it becomes a mental health problem dealing with uh, social comparison and suffering in the world. Um, um, and, and we adults, I think, have to uh, do more to provide a frame. But I mean, I think we're, we're really, you know, what's dangerous is is the propaganda, really, that that can push us to antagonism. Um, and that can happen across generations. Um, it's like, if we could only think about more about how we're making other people feel, you know, having some empathy, um, you know, uh, this transmission of unhappiness that uh, and violence that happened on October 7th, you know, this uh, uncovering uh, of, uh, of conditions uh, for violence, which had been promoted and propagated for decades. Um, you know, this is, this is, a, we're all kind of coming to terms with this. And, you know, I think uh, the kind of pick aside phenomena of social media uh, does not allow room for the great third way, the middle way, the way of understanding, suffering, and generating the causes of peace and dignity uh, for all human beings, whether Israeli, Palestinian, uh, Jewish, Arab, uh, uh, black, white, uh, Asian, Hispanic, everybody, trans. Democrat, Republicans, independents. Exactly, exactly. We all need belonging and safety. um, And uh, we we are not granted these um, by current conditions. Well, so that's, and then I think that's the quintessential question then is how do we have individuals who seem so polar, you know, um, in different sides of the, of, of the street, how do we create that commonality that we can see our common humanity that you mentioned earlier? How do, how do we start to do that? Now, I have some thoughts about it because I've learned that we all have a nervous system that works very similarly all over the world. We respond with stress and trauma in very similar ways. Our heart rate might start to beat quicker. We might feel tense muscles. And when we have moments of profundity, when we think about something that Um, that we love, that we care about. You mentioned love earlier, that oftentimes we'll stop and we can take a deeper breath, our muscles relax. And all of a sudden, we sometimes can have those those moments of saying, oh, well, he's not such a bad guy after all. But if we're in those blinders of hatefulness, like you say, then that constriction that happens within our bodies can also be a constriction of how we see the world. Um, So I'm really... Here is how do we how do we create those avenues of finding that common humanity with people that we may see as so different from ourselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, question, I don't know. Very I think simple it's, it's, question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not well, so you simple. know. I, I, I mean, I, I I wish I had all the answers. I don't. I mean, I think we we have to collectively keep talking about this. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I don't want to paper over any differences, mm-hmm. but I really want to say, so So just from my, I mean, you know, what I see the other side afraid of is somebody who looks like me. I was like, why are you afraid of me? I'm a nice guy. You can talk to me. Yeah. I mean, I might get, I might get very serious about issues that I care about. I might tell you a thing or two. I might write a poem that makes you really unhappy, but I'm not, I'm not a violent guy, you know, and, you know, and. And I think, you know, so so let's just defuse these things. I'm a 1.8 generation immigrant from India, which means that so the first generation is an adult who immigrated. Uh, second generation is somebody who's born here. So I came here at less than two years old. 
1.8 generation immigrant. I, uh, my mom came with me uh, to the South, Tuskegee, Alabama. Oh uh, my. And, and uh, then uh, Nashville, uh, Tennessee, and St. Louis, Missouri. Um, so my early community, she worked at uh, historically black uh, hospitals doing a rotating residency. So my community was largely black and then integrated, very integrated uh, in Nashville. And so so I had all these uh, actually experiences of diversity in the South. Now that changed in St. Louis when I got bused uh, to a suburban school from an inner city school. And, um, you know, that that was a different educational environment. But I also felt very strange. And, you know, I started, you know, I had all these hints when I was very young about racism, but my mom did not understand racism. Um, so, you know, when my uh, fifth grade teacher explained to us, African-American woman uh, in the suburban school, she said, when I moved to this area to teach, um, uh, the, and moved in with my husband, who's also black, and I, I think he worked for McDonnell Douglas. You know, you know, obviously a very respectable uh, family. Uh, 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 you know, but the for sale signs started springing up in their neighborhood, and you know, she told us this story: this class of mostly white and a, a few uh, non-white uh, black and others uh, other students, and. Um, I just, I just raised my hand. Why, why, why would they do that? You know, I didn't even understand. And she, she began to cry. Mm. So, you know, so this is what we have to understand that this, uh, this feeling, uh, this in America uh, of hierarchy, of racism, of caste imbalance, uh, you know, is very much uh, part of what we're trying to get away from. And this is, you know, th these abusive power relations are paralleled around the world. And in fact, America, you know, was uh, actually inspired uh, Hitler, you know, let's just, you know, as Isabel Wilkerson talks about in cast. Um, so, you know, we have to get down to the root of what's happening in our own lives, in our own country, uh, which is amplified in parallel to what's happening at the, uh, what I call the hell house mi mirror of the Gaza border. Um, so uh, we are very much all linked uh, in, in this uh, chain. Mm -hmm. So this is this is um, we have to take a, a short break, uh, Robbie, because I think this is a, a really important um, um, point that we can talk more about. Because I know that you talk about enduring power and how you've modified some of these ideas, and I think this might be a really good segue from when we come back from break. So um, we'll, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. We're going to hear from our sponsor, the Trauma uh, Resource Institute. And um, Ravi, I think I'm going to have to have you come back for a second time because I don't think we're going to even be okay. able to touch all the things we could talk about. <laughs> so here we go. Okay. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes, uh, and you'll be hearing from our sponsor, the Trauma Resource Institute. Thank you. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine Miller-Karras book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, 
The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at ResiliencyWithin.com. Elaine Miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine Miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I'm having a lovely discussion with Dr. Ravi Chandra, and I just want to uh, remind our our listeners that he's written a book called Face Buddha, Transcendence in the Age of Social Networks, and he has a documentary called The Bandage Place, From AIDS to COVID and Racial um, uh, Justice. And where can people find the book and the movie? Can you share with us where should they go to look? Sure. Thank you. If anyone's interested, um, they can go to uh, facebuddha.co, uh, and that'll, you'll get a lot of free material on the subject of social media, plus uh, purchase links for the book. Um, and uh, all of my links to my movies, etc., can be found at ravichandramd.com. Um, and that that's, yeah, they can go there. Okay, ravichandramd.com. That might be the easiest way to find everything. So as we were talking before the break, we were talking about power. And I know that one of the things that you talk about is um, you highlight what Dacher Keltner calls enduring power. Um, And you've modified this um, with the need for accountability and reparation. And I'm wondering Mm -hmm. if we can talk a little bit about that now. Yeah. Another book, I would a very slim book uh, by Dr. Keltner, I would recommend is called The Power Paradox. Um, and so, so he outlines, uh, a, you know, that uh, from a social psychologist's perspective, power is the ability to influence others. And he says that through his research, people uh, people grant others power when they're empathic, and people, uh, but people as they rise in power, they lose empathy. That's the power paradox. P- absolute power corrupts. Absolutely, we've all heard that. Um, and so he outlines uh, an alternative model for enduring power, um, which uh, some of the basic principles are and that enduring power comes from a focus on others, from empathy, from giving and sharing, from expressing gratitude, and from telling stories that unite. Um, and I added to that also uh, to, to make apologies and reparations 
because everyone is capable and has uh, harmed others. Uh, you know, because we we all come through this uh, world with some some amount of self centeredness. Um, and of course, you know, so he talks about uh, people rising into power through empathy. Well, that may be true, but I think also people are uh, are granted power through talent, uh, through privilege, and through abuse. Um, and so that's what we have to, in all pathways, uh, erode empathy, or in fact, even require a lack of empathy and compassion in order to rise in terms of the abuse of power. So, so really, it comes down to empathy uh, and uh, and, uni- and unity uh, across uh, various divides. And I think particularly right now, we're seeing uh, uh, minoritized groups uh, being targeted, uh, sexual and gender minorities being targeted. So I think we have to think about uniting these groups with, you know, the 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 dom parts parts of the majority culture um, that are willing, uh, I think, to be compassionate towards these groups um, because all our fates are intertwined. Mm-hmm. You know, are we? Um, you you just all of a sudden reminded me of something when I first moved to Claremont, where I live. They had a a project where they would bring children um, from Northern Ireland, and the children were from the Protestants and the Catholics, and they would have um, soccer, uh, a a soccer camp. And one of the things that was one of the goals that was um, not necessarily expressed to the children because they just got to know each other. And as they got to know each other, it wasn't so much, oh, that you're a Catholic or you're a Protestant, but you're another young boy, a young person who's working together on a team. So they came together. And of course, what you're what we're talking about was the fruits of of. Uh, creating empathy for the other. And I'm wondering, I mean, some of those very simple things that we can do that, you know, I think about the children and what children are listening to. And if we can get them when they're those yeah. little formative minds and say, oh, these are ways that we build compassion to with the other. That's right. I, I think we all need those uh, uh, spaces to come together and uh, uh, communicate, just be with each other, whether it's a uh, uh, you know, playing music. Uh, I saw a group, uh, a Jerusalem uh, uh, youth chorus uh, online uh, that was Arab and uh, Palestinian and and Israeli uh, youth. You know, just like you know, this is what the future could look like. You know, if we gave it gas, if we gave it energy and vitality, if only we lived in a world where we could make music instead of war, you know, with our, you know, across all differences. There's so many things that unite us as human beings. Um, So, so if we could only emphasize those. Well, and I think that, you know, I want to kind of circle back to something that I think is connected to this conversation. And that is, you know, when people um, start feeding the hatred that, that can live inside of them, and they're hearing it from others, then that can that hatred bucket can get bigger. Just like when, you know, the, the Polytechnic Institute, 10% can be also of hatred, not just of love and change and humanity. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I think is so important um, is that sometimes the only way to start breaking that up is what we experience in the self and how we how do we reduce the self-hatred and the hatred then that springs out and that can harm other people. And I think undigested trauma that you know, you as a psychiatrist, myself as a, a licensed social worker, that we work with every day. And if we don't help people to 
to let go of the vestiges of the trauma that lives inside of their body, I don't know if we're going to be as successful as creating, um, helping to create those um, thoughts of self-compassion and humanity for others. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about that, what I just said. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. Um, and, you know, it's like when unhappiness lands on us, when, you know, I'm unhappy, that must be someone's fault. And I've got to take, you know, I've got to take it out on them, or I need to uh, put my uh, vote behind somebody who will knock out the guy who's a or girl who's a problem, gal who's a problem, so forth. I mean, that's, you know, that's weaponizing um, our unhappiness against people. Um, and I don't think it's people per se who are making us unhappy. It's the qualities of hatred and selfishness, um, which we all carry, you know, and what do we feed? You know, do we feed our selfishness or do we feel our our, our connection? And, you know, I, I recognize there's a lots of lots of reasons that we might mistrust each other. Um, but, you know, it's like at the end of the day, uh, you know, we're all human beings. We're all Americans. How do we support each other. I mean, you know, I think the capacity is there if only uh, if only it won't go to the point of having a weapon in one's hand, you know, uh, to settle a difference. Uh, um, you know, I mean, Paul, I don't know if you know Paul Salopek, uh, I've heard of him. Uh, he's a National Geographic writer who's uh, walking um, from uh, the Horn of Africa uh, all the way uh, to, uh, uh, to uh, South America, the tip of the south of, uh, of South America, tracing uh, a journey of human migration, and almost entirely, except where he's encountered civil wars, um, people have been kind and generous, and he's found safety. I mean, of course, as a male, you know, it might be different as a woman. You know, of course, there, there's these differences, but I think that tells us something about who we are as human beings. And we well, don't and think, have to fear each other. We don't. And I think that the very thing, like we're talking, we talked about social media and how social media can spread hate, but social media can also, can also um, spread love. And I was, mm -hmm. I was wondering, well, I wonder if we just said, okay, every 50% of every TikTok posting is going to be about how we're creating love, generosity, and hope in the world. <laughs> what would happen? Right. Right. Because right. It, it would have to spread because one it's like putting that pebble in the stream and seeing how it it continues to go outward. And I think the same thing is and that's what you're doing in your life, isn't it? You're trying to create those opportunities for people to think about these things. And that's what I, that's why sure. I was so attracted to your to the essays that you had written on psychology today. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and yeah, those, those certainly came out of my own experience. I'm not an expert. Uh, on uh, Gaza, certainly, but I've been learning. Um, and, um, you know, I certainly uh, have seen a lot of conflict, interpersonal conflict up close. So so I had a number of essays uh, from October 7th uh, through the end of the year uh, about uh, uh, related to uh, Israel and Gaza. Um, and I've also been very active uh, within the American Psychiatric Association's Global Mental Health Caucus, which is you know, just I think learning from different people's experiences, um, and hopefully we'll, uh, you know, create through our relationships a better platform uh, uh, for uh, for mental health um, uh, as we, you know, as we travel through this conflict. 
Well, one of the organizations, and I'm hoping that maybe I can get them on the show in the future, but um, I just want to mention to our listeners is Newground. Um, take a look at them. Just put them in Google, and they're an organization in Los Angeles, and they're made up of Palestinians and Jews that have been working together for years to have a common dialogue, and they've been very active. They were interviewed on NPR and NBC, some of the larger networks, um, but I think what you're talking about is exactly what they're doing. And that is one of the ways that we can start saying, okay, how do we create dialogue? How can we look at someone that we know may have perpetrated even violence towards people that we love and look at them in a different way? And I guess I'm going to circle to um, to Rwanda because I know many people who are working with, with the genocide survivors there and the perpetrators of the violence. And one of the things that, that has been shared with me by this wonderful young man who's getting his doctorate right now at Loma Linda, his name is Sam Habimana. Mm -hmm. And Sam has shared with me that he brings in our community resiliency model that many of the listeners of this show would have heard about, but it's something that is about a very simple wellness practice that helps us to kind of identify what our resources are in our life and then to notice what happens inside of our body when we think about like like let's say I talk about my granddaughter and I often take a spontaneous breath because I just adore her so much but Sam shared with me and I, I mean this may sound simple Robbie what I what I'm going to share with you but it's about um two people that one was the Tutsi and what was a Hutu and they uh, they found that they each had a cow that they loved and they started talking about their cow and the cow provided much for their families, right? Milk, it provided cheese, it provided, um, they loved their cows. And Sam shares with me that when the two women realized that they had these common uh, experiences in their relationship with this beloved animal, that you could see the animosity just kind of melt away. And I just, so yeah, could it yeah, be yeah. that simple? But maybe it could be that simple, that when we look for those things yeah. in common, that those those yeah. possibilities, um, as you talk about possibilities, are possible. I, I certainly hope so. It's really heartwarming to hear that. It's also a a huge leap uh, to ask someone who's been abused, uh, who is at threat of being harmed or even killed, uh, to uh, to have uh, to have that kind of a conversation with someone who's poised. Uh, to uh, to be a killer, you know. I mean, so so I, I don't know where do we do that. I think certainly in our own minds, um, I think we have to recognize there are uh, people who are aimed at destruction in our world uh, yeah. to amplify their own sense of superiority. There's something called social dominance orientation. Uh, psychologists, social psychologists have studied, um, and I think this is really this contends with a more egalitarian spirit. Now, I think we all have this push and pull of selfishness and selflessness, factional orientation versus a more interdependent, uh, broader, beyond factional orientation. We, we, we juggle these and it's like, um, it's a rabbit hole. If you start, uh, you know, you can imagine somebody who gets fed, uh, you know, uh, even uh, fed, fed hatred, uh, fed, uh, you know, whatever economic problems, et cetera, uh, feels that uh, their group should remain uh, on top of the others. And, um, you know, as opposed to saying, oh, maybe there's something, you know, maybe we can make beautiful music together. If we could only, you know, how much creativity could we unleash if we 
saw each other and heard each other and cared for each other, you know, uh, I think that that would be a real, you know, we could have, I, I said, we might be pushed on a dark ages. We could also be uh, on the edge of a renaissance. I mean, it's that close. And it's like all these, a billion decisions, uh, 7 billion decisions being made around the world. Every single person, like, am I going to be selfish in this moment? Uh, am I just going to favor my faction or am I going to look to the greater good? Uh, well, so I just thought of a question I want to ask you, and this has to do with something you said in the very beginning, is that there's been this transmission, this transmission of all this ugliness, right, that also is like, look at this, what do we need to do about it? So what would be the transmission of hope, the transmission of humanity, the transmission that's also coming at the same time to not have that hatefulness continue and go into another dark ages? What, what in your in the collective of all that you are and all that you experience, how, how, how would you, what would be your response to that question? Yeah, I think if we open ourselves to hope, it's there, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I on Christmas day, I, I, I took my mom to see the color purple and what a, I saw the original by Steven Spielberg. Uh, and then I read the book, of course, at that time as well, profoundly moved. Uh, by by Alice Walker's writing, um, and uh, and here it is in a musical. And so, I mean, there there is this whole journey, uh, the African American journey, uh, you know, from a horrible torture, abuse, genocide, uh, to uh, to really uh, keep uh, keep keep moving forward. And you know, I think that there is transformation. I know people uh, who said their relatives have changed. Uh, over the last 30, 40 years uh, to be uh, uh, anti-racist even. And so, you know, people do change. Um, there's always hope. And I think we just got to keep feeding uh, the reality that uh, that demographic change, that difference, diversity are good things um, and not, not to be so paranoid uh, about each other. Um, uh, I think uh, under that paranoia, there's always some attraction, I think. So sometimes I think it's kind of like this kind of, that we kind of, you know, we don't know what to do with the fact that we're all human. We, you know, we may, we're afraid of each other, but that's like so close to liking the other person too. You know, so it's so, yeah. it's so intermingled, you know, in some ways. So, so I think we just have to keep finding those stories of hope, uh, of transcendence, transformation, and it's out there. And then we're all, we can all, I think, uh, try to be better story makers in our own minds, you know, creating, creating the narrative between us uh, that, uh, that understands and hears uh, the, uh, where we've been, but also looks for where we're going. And uh, yeah. Well, so that, and that leads me to another question, because I actually don't know what this is, but is this what you do with the healing circles for change that you um, work with? Could you say maybe a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, during the pandemic, uh, I started working with Suru for Solidarity. That's T-S-U-R-U, -U, Suru for Solidarity. Suru is the word for the crane. Uh, origami cranes are a sign of peace and longevity in Japanese culture. Um, and uh, so, so Suru for Solidarity uh, was founded to fight migrant and family detention and separation on the border. Um, and then during the pandemic, expanded their work uh, to include racial justice more broadly. And 
and um, you know abolition now and and other other activist uh, social justice uh, organizations, but uh, or uh, uh, activities, um, but they uh, also included healing circles for change, which was just an opportunity to process intergenerational trauma and also current trauma, cultural trauma, uh, in a space that's uh, that's respectful and kind, and um, uh, you know each person. Uh, listens to the others. You weave the story of the person who just spoke. Uh, you resonate with it, and then before you tell your own, so it creates what I call an island of belonging in the sea of suffering. And we all need those islands uh, to to remember, you know, to just just to hear each other. The same thing, you know, it's interesting. I, I as a, uh, I took an actor's retreat this weekend for the first time. I've never taken an acting class in my life, and so I was terrified. Uh, on day one when I had to do my scene. But, you know, but, um, but I think that's the same quality. I mean, acting, uh, one of the one of the methods we used was listening to each other's lines and repeating the last line of what somebody else said. And I could feel the words and the other person, the other character in a much different way. So it's like anything we do to deepen into listening uh, and uh, hearing uh, uh, and expressing from that uh, is so important. So that's what Suru for Solidarity does. But you know, that's what we can all we can all practice compassionate, empathic listening uh, to each other. Mm-hmm. And so, when we started our conversation today, we were talking about the stresses, the stresses of your patients, the stresses that you know we hear from people really across the blo- globe. So it sounds to me like healing circles for change. And just like that deep listening can make such a difference for us not to feel so isolated on our own journey when we're experiencing such distress. Yeah, absolutely. I I think, you know, uh, I've noticed several waves in my practice of common kind of feelings that run through many patients. As I I told you uh, at the beginning of this year, just last week, many patients we're feeling really alone with their distress and so unheard and so unseen. And uh, that I think is particularly true, uh, well, for people who have difficult family or cultural experiences, like who really understands me? I mean, that's, we, we all feel, you know, that's a very human experience to feel isolated, alone, unseen, unrecognized, all of that. And then you know, the therapy space, as you know, is one space to like at least help people not feel alone with their distress. And I think we all have to create, we be part of creating communities that can understand distress rather than, you know, maybe just getting, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, caught up on the, on our remodels or whatever. I mean, that's fine. That's, you know, whatever you make yourself happy, but but also open yourself to other people and, and have um, those connections. Um, so yeah. I have I have a question. I often ask this in the very beginning, but I'm just wondering. So what called you to become a psychiatrist? There's many different medical fields that you could have chosen. So what was it that? Yeah. Well, you know, I guess uh, I wish I'd thought of it earlier because it was exactly <laughs> what I needed to do with my life. I think I, I love my job. Uh, uh, but uh, but actually, I I, I think I, I started out in family medicine uh, oh, for a couple of years. Ah, there you yes, go. Yes, yes, and and then but uh, I was in Minneapolis. Uh, many of my patients were refugees 
uh, from Somalia, Vietnam, uh, Cambodia, etc., uh, uh, Hmong refugees. And so I just got more interested in culture and identity uh, and trauma. And um, so I switched over to psychiatry and and I've really loved it. Worked at a community mental health clinic for many years, uh, seeing immigrants and refugees. And now I have a very diverse practice, about 70% BIPOC, uh, uh, mostly Asian American, uh, 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 but also Black and Latinx, and and uh, but but you know patients from all, all all kinds of. San Francisco has a the world has a way of knocking at your door in San Francisco. It if sure you're does. To it. <laughs> yeah. it sure does. Yeah. I was yeah. I was born there, and my mom and grandma, you know, came there from El Salvador, and that Latinx community was is very vibrant and was very vibrant during my childhood. Well, we only have a couple minutes left, Robbie. Any one final thought in three minutes or less. Well, um, yeah, thank you for, for having me and letting me, I guess I had enough caffeine this morning, so <laughs> I could, I could just keep talking. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, so I'm looking behind me. I don't know if the, on Facebook live, you could probably see this. I, there are photographs I've taken in on my voyages and, um, this, many of them are of children. And I think, you know, the children are up on my walls to keep me honest um, yeah. and remember my own childhood. Uh, because children suffer in this world. They do. They do. Yeah. So, so I think we just have to remember remember suffering from the perspective of a child. Yes. Embracing those children and helping them in any way that we can. I so agree. And so, Robbie, can you tell us one more time if they want to read your book, if they want to see your film, learn more about you, can you tell us your website again? Sure. It's ravichandramd.com. And that'll get you to everything. And I want to just do a very deep bow. And thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your reflections, your wisdom. Um, I do really, you know, think about coming back again. I'm sure you're going to be producing oh. something. But I need to have you come back again for the next book or whatever that may be out there. In the or maybe to read poetry. I understand you're a poet, too. So we might have, have to have a poetry reading and a discussion. So um, sure, sure. My latest, actually, my latest short film, seven minute film is a video poem called Citizenship of Mixed Emotions. And oh, it's about wow. it's about racism as well. So okay, yeah, well, then yeah. I'm so having that's, you back. That's going, yes, yes. Yeah, I definitely okay. want to do that. Okay. All right. All um, right. So my listeners, thank you so much for coming and listening to Resiliency Within. Um, I so appreciate you coming and hearing my guests. And I think, you know, I often end with this statement about what else is true in the world. And yes, there's suffering, there's pain, yes, there's hatred, but there's also love. There's people like Dr. Ravi Chandra working in so many different domains to bring hope and peace and healing to the world. So see today as you go through the rest of your, your time today and maybe for the rest of the week about how you might Remember what else is true during those moments that you may sometimes lose your footing and bearing about um, maybe leaning a little bit into your suffering in a way that forgetting about all, all that is true about you. So until we meet again, this is Elaine Miller-Karras signing off for Resiliency Within. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karras, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon.
Resiliency Within with host Elaine Miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit traumaresourceinstitute.com.